Amen. Good morning, church. Buenos días a todos. Orale. <laughs> Reviewing our Spanish lessons. Okay, I'm going to give you a heads up. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be studying uh, some Bible today, okay? I don't know, maybe I'm inspired. I, I just came back from the, uh, the uh, worldwide first ever Kingdom Teachers Conference, uh, which was an incredible time. It was in, held in San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, um, you know, God just really, really uh, did something amazing. We, uh, several of us a, a couple years ago decided that uh, us who were in teaching roles or helping with teaching in our churches decided we need to get together and just have some brainstorming time as teachers. So actually last year we had a uh, hackathon uh, in Orange County at the Orange County building. We brought teachers from all over the world and we discussed about how we can serve, how we can help, how we can help with some of the issues the church is facing. Out of that came the idea of let's have a conference and let's bring in experts from around the world that can just teach us, the teachers, and how they help their churches and how they're making a difference in their fellowships and um and that happened last week and the amazing just absolutely incredible thing is we literally had some of the top theologians in the world speaking to us donating their time to teach us and how they're how they're how they're helping their people how they're helping their churches grow in spirituality grow in strength uh how they're helping their churches evolve it was just an absolutely amazing time, and um, and it was just a, it was a move. It was absolutely the hand of God because um, we don't have the money to bring in these kind of speakers. These speakers get paid thousands of dollars to go and speak at seminars, and and they all did it. All of them donating their time and their classes to us, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean that was that was the hand of God, and I was just blown away by the depth of teaching. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it because, you know, a lot of us, we've been around a long time. Yeah. We've, been, we've been Christians a long time and we're hungry uh, for deeper teaching, right? And I'm excited to bring that. I'm excited about uh, brothers like the Flowers who were there representing Metro as well, both of them, and, and, and they're learning and growing. And, and, but really across our whole fellowship that we are taking steps and advancing because as we've been talking about as a Christian, you've got to keep growing, right? You're either growing or you're dying. So you've got to keep growing. You've got to keep advancing. We're going to study the book of Micah today. Not the whole book. Really one verse, but we've got to lead up to it. And this was actually already on the schedule uh, because it kind of summarizes the things that we have been studying about so far, about faith and about love and about devotion and, and, and spirituality so Micah, just for a little quick background, is uh, he's a he's a seventh eighth century prophet, and he was sent by God. Prophets were men who were sent by God to preach God's message to God's people. They were called the Nabi. They were one who is called, or one who is called, or sometimes they were called seers because they could see what was coming. You know, some of us have that gift actually. That we, we just, we think that way. We know what the next three steps are. And I don't mean necessarily that you're going to predict, you know, the day Jesus comes back. Because obviously Jesus said you, you better not be doing that because he's not even telling you that. So, um, but, but meaning more that if we continue in this way, we know what's, what's going to happen. 
I mean, the scriptures equip us to see things, right? And then there were those that had the gift of prophecy, but um, they were most of all men who were connected to God and also women that would be able to tell God's people how to be ready and what to do and what is God's concern. And these, uh, this set of prophets, the minor prophets, and they're only called minor prophets because their writings are, are smaller than the major prophets, but there's nothing minor about them. Micah was, is, is one of my favorite. Um, Micah was sent to the, God's people in the 8th century. Basically, they were messing up. You know, he had, you remember the story, he, he, he rescued them from Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt, they, he gave them the promised land, they crossed the river, they took the promised land, they took hold of it, and, and always the struggle was trusting God, having faith in God. That is our struggle, right? Is our, our, our spiritual journey is learning to trust God, not just believe in him, but trust him and entrust our lives and really believe the promises he makes so much so that we live according to those promises, that we live according to the scriptures and we follow the Bible because we believe and trust that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. But they would fall back, right? And this particular time, they were doing great. Israel was doing fantastic. And they had actually gone through some rough times. They had split into two different kingdoms, Israel and Judah. But God sends them prophets because they're messing up again. And, and particularly, what had happened is they were going through a time of prosperity. You know, the two hardest things for people to deal with is failure and success. They really are. And this time was a very successful time for them. They were doing well. Archaeologists have uncovered, you know, homes from this time period. And they were literally like, they, they were going through a time of wealth. People were buying things from Egypt, importing things from Babylon and from different parts of the world. They found homes with ivory beds. Beds completely made out of ivory and gold lamps and things. They were, you know, they were, they were shopping at Pier 1 Imports, you know. You know you're doing good when you can buy all your furniture at Pier 1 Imports. You know, and, and they were getting, you know, they, this isn't, this wasn't Target furniture. This was Ethan Allen furniture, you know, and, and they knew these people were doing very well, but, but as often is the case, it was a few people who were doing really well and the poor were getting poorer. It was getting worse for the poor, which is often the situation. The richer the rich get, the poorer the poor get. And people were suffering. They were literally losing their land. They had to sell off pieces of land to keep up with the taxes. And then they were even having to, when they'd lose their land, they would literally have to sell some of their children into slavery to pay their taxes. They're paying their own people, their own government. This is Jews taxing Jews. They're losing the land that they had been given by God. Their promised land. And so God is watching this. And likewise, they're in their wealth, they no longer see their need for God. And they're no longer dependent on Him. 
You know, some of the best prayers we pray are when we're scared. Or when we're suffering. And when we're hurting. And then when everything's going great, we somehow forget God. And we don't turn to Him because we're busy. And we don't have time to pray. And we don't have time to read our Bibles. Because we got so many important things to do. And this is the nature of us, right? This is our sinful nature. This is what happens. And they were, they were turning even to the false gods of the people they drove out of that land. And God starts sending them prophets. Trying to wake them up. To tell them, you're blowing it. You're going to lose everything if you don't wake up. And he's challenging them. Again and again, he's telling them, look. Those gods didn't save those people from you. Why would they save you? They didn't work before. They're not going to work now. Why are you praying to things made out of gold and wood and bronze? Those things didn't save you. Save them from you. When I sent you in, it was I who rescued you. Right? God was telling them, but they weren't listening. And you know what, you know, and we have, in California, we should know this better than anybody. California is called the land of litigation. Somebody does something, you sue them. So what does God do? He files a lawsuit against his people. It's called the book of Micah. It is a lawsuit where God is suing his own people for breach of contract. You said you would love me to the end. You swore. You said, I said, choose you this day whom you shall serve. And you said, me and my people will serve the Lord. And you broke your contract. That's basically what this is. He says it's divided into three sections. And each section starts with, hear ye, hear ye. You know, the old courts would start this way. Consider the case of so and so and so and so. He would say, Shema Israel, which means listen, Israel. The Lord is speaking. Listen. And he says in, in chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, three different kings he preached during their time. And the vision he saw concerning Samaria and, his, and Jerusalem. Now Samaria at this time is not the Samaria of, of Jesus' time. This time it's Israel. And they're in the land of Samaria. And he says, Hear you peoples, all of you. And this is the Shema Israel. The hear ye, hear ye. The way the old courts would start with the bell. Hear ye, all of you. Who? All of you. And he was talking to all of us. He wanted all of us to listen up. And he says, Listen, earth, and all who live in it. And you have to understand, always in the Bible, there's an immediate audience, and then there's a general audience, and then there's everybody. And it always will apply to all three. So we could read something that says, listen, Judah, or listen, Israel, or listen, Abraham. And in one sense, there's a meaning directly to that person he's talking to, but then there's the general meaning for us to understand. But he's very pointed here. He says, listen, everybody on earth. I want the whole earth to hear this. And God is upset here. And he says, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. 
He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart. You know when God is coming like that, there's trouble. <laughs> That's not how you want God to show up for dinner. Splitting mountains and tearing down valleys and doing all this stuff, right? Now that's just the beginning. We don't have time to go verse by verse, although I would love to. But then we jump to chapter 3. And that's the next section, same thing. Shema Israel, but now he says Shema to the leaders. It's you who lead. You leaders, you better listen up. He says, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil? You know, when you, when, and, and, and what he's referring to is the practice of overtaxing the people. He's referring to how the poor are being treated. That people are not caring about the poor. And there's so much in the Old Testament, so many scriptures about taking care of the poor and needy. And they're ignoring all that. And in fact, not only are they not practicing those things, they're the ones victimizing the poor. The leaders of the people, the wealthy, the government, the, 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 the rich, the, the, the ones who have it all. And they're not caring. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether they were you know, in charge of social programs or anything. Anybody who has something is a leader and is responsible for what they do with the something they have, right? And then the third section is chapter 6, and that's where we're going to read. And again, it starts out with Shema Israel, or hear ye. He says, listen to what the Lord says. And this time he's talking directly to us. The language means it's to you. It's directly to you. He says, listen to what the Lord says, you. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge, that's a lawsuit, against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? And I'm going to stop there. Because he starts out, and like any case, you've got witnesses, right? You've got witnesses, so he's calling in his witnesses. Who are the Lord's witnesses? The mountains. The mountains are his witnesses. Why? Because they were there that day. The rocks are his witnesses. Because they were there. They heard everybody say, we will follow the Lord. We will obey the Lord. How would you like the rocks roll in? <laughs> say, I was there. I was at your baptism. You said Jesus is Lord. I'm a witness against you. So, Jesus, so God's calling in his witnesses and he's placing his charge. He's, he's filing his lawsuit against the people. And he asked them, my people, what have I done to you? And it's a big question because sometimes we walk around grumbling against God. Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? You know. And it's amazing how fast we can turn against God. When somebody we love hurt is hurt, we start questioning him immediately. It's like we weren't questioning the day before when other people were hurting. We weren't worried about does God love us when other people were dying in the hospital. 
But now suddenly, because somebody we care about dies in the hospital, suddenly God is not fair. And God is not just because he's not listening to my prayer and doing things the way I think they should be done. And suddenly we think justice is giving me and my family a free pass out of suffering and dying. And nobody gets that pass. I mean, notice even the scripture that Doug read this morning says, I will be with you in times of trouble. He doesn't say you won't have any times of trouble. He says, I will be with you. Just stay with him. So he can be with you in times of trouble. And he says, what have I done to you? He says, how have I burdened you? And there's a play, and, and this is, sometimes I wish we all could speak Hebrew because there's a bunch of play on words here. The word for burdened is also the same word for bearing or carrying somebody. And so there's 125 times where God says, I carried you out of Egypt. And this time he uses the same word. He says, how have I burdened you? How did I carry you? Because they were using the word to say God is burdening us. And he reminds them, I'm the one who carried you out of Egypt. You know, I, I, was, I, I went to a number of, of refugee camps when, when all the refugees were fleeing Syria. And there was literally millions of people walking and they were walking such long distances and I was going to camp to camp and I would, I would, I would meet families that had one-year-old and two-year-old children and I thought, I, may, I mean, they carried these kids all day long there was one pair of brothers and, and the one, one of the brothers got shot by a soldier in Turkey and his brother carried him from Turkey all the way to Greece before finally somebody bought him a wheelchair. And so we realized we were trying to buy baby strollers. Because imagine how valuable a baby stroller is. I mean the distance they were walking was roughly from L.A. to Chicago. Imagine carrying your children. And, and they'd had three or four or five. Some people had six kids. One particular family that we helped. They had six kids. And imagine this is your family you're taking. And a lot of them would get to the, to the shores and they would find out the price of getting ferried from Turkey to Greece. And they would realize they don't have enough money. So they would have to choose which kid stayed and which kid went forward. Imagine that choice they would have to make. And this is the choice that God's people were having to make. Which Kid, do I sell into slavery so that my other kids have hope and a future? So that we can pay the taxes, so that we can keep our land, so that we can keep our farm and eat. And this is what they were going through. So God was upset that the, those the haves were not helping the have-nots. They were ignoring them. They weren't aware. And, and, and that's always the excuse, I didn't know. I didn't know there was all that suffering. Why not? Why do we not know? And he says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. And also Aaron and Miriam. My people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted. And what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. You remember that's the story when, when, when Balak was gonna, wanted, wanted to destroy them and he sent... He sent the prophet to, to tell them 
that they couldn't, you know, that they would all die. And he ends up blessing them. And they were trying to get through. And remember, he even sends a donkey, right? And, and, and to, to, to tell the prophet, no, this is something from God. God moved in incredible ways. I, that donkey's a big lesson to me. I always think, I need to listen to everybody. Because if God speaks through a donkey, he can speak through anybody. He can speak through me. He can speak through anybody out there, right? So don't blow anybody off. He says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. And Shittim was where they, where Phinehas drove the spear through that couple that were in sin. Because there was a plague and God was showing his righteousness. You don't mess with God. Don't play games with God. And he was teaching them to revere him. And to worship him. And to respect who he was. As much as he loved them. He wanted them to know how much he loved them, but he didn't want them to, 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 to be spoiled brats, basically. He wanted them to understand they must respect him, too. And, and so he, he, the, we had that whole scene. And Gilgal's were their first battle, their first victory. So from, from intensity to victory, he was with them every step of the way. Sometimes we think God is not with us. He's with you. And he is watching and you can stop at any time, any day, anywhere and pray to him and he will listen to you. And he cares about you. I mean, if you really, one of the most important things you could do to grow spiritually is just practice being aware. It's called mindfulness. Being aware that God is with you. You know, I have my phone set up to send me reminders throughout the day to pray because God is listening. All the time. He isn't just around from an appointment, you know, from, from 6 to 6.15 or something. He's, he's, he's here all day. He's here right now. Listening, watching. He knows if you're playing some game on your phone right now or you're listening. He knows. People complain about all the, the, the what is that, CC something cameras and all that stuff. You don't need to worry about them watching you. You need to worry about God watching you. What does he see going on, right? All right, I'm getting off track. He says that you may know, he says all this happened that you may know the righteousness of God. The righteous acts of the Lord. He said, with what shall I come before the Lord? Now the, 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 the discussion switches. Now the prophet takes on the role of the people. And he's asking God. So it's almost like a little play. So at first he's, he's speaking on behalf of God. And then he stops and he's, he does a golem thing, you know, he steps over and now he's speaking on behalf of the people. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's being sarcastic. He said, what does God want? And, it's, and, we, and we get there. We're like, God, what do you want? You ever said that? I've said that. In moments of frustration, in moments where I'm not doing well. God, what more do you want? What else, Lord? What do you want from me? People say it all the time when they visit. Okay, what do you guys want here? What's expected? How much do you want for your, what's your membership fees or whatever, your contribution or whatever? People want to know, what's the expectation? And so he, he turns and he takes that voice of the people. He says, you want, you want the firstborn? You want, you want thousands of 
rivers of oil? You want thousands of rams? How much sacrifice do you want, Lord? Do you want us to give more to you? Is that what you want? You want us to up our contribution? And then you'll be happy? And that's basically what they were telling him. As though the Lord needed any of it. The truth, even our giving, is really not for God. It's for us. If there's one thing I learned in Hope is that giving helps people. What I would, one of the weird parts of working for Hope is I would have to ask people for money, right? To give to the poor. And that was at first I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be asking people for money all the time. But what I learned was that when people give to the poor, it blesses them. It helps their hearts. It helps them get to heaven. So I realized that when I'm asking, I'm really blessing them. So I get, and I love getting with the rich people and say, let me bless you and allow you to write a big check. Let me bless you with the opportunity to make a difference in your life and do something meaningful that will help your heart. You know, we, we're going to have a meeting next week and it's going to be a meeting for people who want to organize or have ideas of how we can have an impact on the poor and the suffering of our city. Okay, we have a number of experts out there. We're all going to meet together. This isn't a meeting for anybody who wants to volunteer. That will be another meeting, and we will do that. We'll present some great opportunities to go and be blessed by serving the poor. Amen. Be blessed by giving your time or your talents or your money or something. Because what I learned is, is the poor need the wealthy, and that's us. You may not feel rich, but there's a very different definition of being poor in this country. We think being poor is, I got really slow internet. That's not being poor. Well, I only got 29 channels on my TV. You may be poorer than the guy next to you who's got 29,000, but you're not poor. The fact that you have a TV means you're wealthy. You know, and, 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 and we're going to have a lot of great opportunities, but th that meeting will be next Sunday after church. And then we're going to share some of the ideas that are out there for us to be blessed and to be a light to the world. Amen. So he's asking this question and he says, and then the answer comes. And this is, this is our scripture today. He says in verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly? And to love mercy, that's Hesed, by the way, and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. He says, he's shown you, O mortal, what does God want from you? Yeah. So if you have that question in your mind today, here's the answer. What does God want from you? Now, I got to tell you, there's another funny play of words here in the Hebrew. He says, they translate it, O mortal, it's actually Adam. In, in, in Hebrew, Adam, which means, like as in Adam, it means dirt person. Or dust person. That's literally what it means. Adam was made from the dust, right? And that's why he's called dust man, or dust person. Right? But see, the thing is, we think we're pretty cool dust. We think we're good looking dust. I'm highly educated dust. I am professional dust. I, I, I am really good looking dust. I am well dressed dust. Notice my shoes. No ordinary dust here. And so we start thinking we're pretty, 
something, right? We're all that. And so God puts us in a place and he says, okay, dust person, which makes us think of Ecclesiastes 3, from dust you came and dust you what? You will return, right? So I don't care how awesome you are, you're just going to be a pile of dust in about 100 years, right? So he kind of puts us in our place there. He says, he's shown you, O dust person, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Do what's right. Care about others. If somebody has no food, and you have food, and you have the money to buy food, you have access to beautiful grocery stores. We have beautiful grocery stores. I remember when Michelle and I moved back to the United States, we walked into this grocery store in Florida, Publix. It's like, it's like a Vons. And we were overwhelmed. We were. We walked in, we saw the fruit, and we're like, oh my gosh. These oranges are huge. And they're beautiful. In other countries, they're not so big and they're not so beautiful. They're little, they're tiny, and they're all beat up. But it still tastes good. And they don't have all those hormones pumped into them. But, but. And I remember we were supposed to get some, some, some for a Bible talk, we were getting some Coke and Diet Coke because those were your options in, in where we lived. We walked in, there's an aisle of sodas. The decisions were overwhelming. You know, I wanted to get cereal. Oh my gosh, there's an entire aisle of just cereal. We have so much. So are we sharing it with those who have nothing? That's justice. Do we care about those who are abused? Well, I don't know anybody. Pray about it. Because I guarantee you, even in a room this big, there's probably 15 to 50 people in this room that have been abused in some way. Or the economically abused. Or the socially abused. Because of the color of their skin. Or because their economic background. Or because the language they speak. Or because their ethnicity. You say, well, wait, wait. Are you saying we need to get into politics? No, not at all. I'm saying be the people who love. And care. And pray for them. And serve. Because you don't know when it's going to be you. We all have to care about each other and love one another. When, I, when, when I, I shared at the REACH conference in Kansas about the refugees we helped, and I got hate emails afterwards. I got people telling me, how dare you help the enemy? Didn't Jesus say something about the enemy? Love your enemy? I had people tell me, you're a dirty Mexican. You have no business leading hope worldwide. And you know what I did? I prayed for that person. Because that person is confused. And they don't understand God's justice. It would have been totally wrong of me. And equally, well no, worse. If I respond to hate with hate. But I have to respond the way Jesus responds. With love. And grace. And mercy. Understanding this. But caring about everybody. Not just about me and my own. Not just about my kids, but all the kids in the church. All the kids in our community. All the kids around the world. 
even kids growing up in Muslims and Hindu and Buddhist families, to care about all of them. That's God's heart, right? Jesus said, love your enemies. Practice justice. He said, love mercy. That's hesed. Care about others the way you've been cared about. Love others the way you've been loved. The way you've been cared for. The way you have been treated by God. Treat others, right? He said the measure you use with people is the measure that's going to be used with us, right? Ooh. Think about that one for a second. That could be great, but that could be a nightmare. It depends on us. And lastly, walk humbly with your God. And I love this particular word, tzana. It's, 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 it's actually not the word for humility. It's a different word. It's the word for how you should act in the presence of a king. Now, I've shared before, you know, I've, I've you know, I, I'd never met a real king. I've met people who thought they were kings, but not real kings, <laughs> until I worked for Hope Worldwide. I had to meet with the royal family of Cambodia. So they, they pre- prepped me. They gave me the protocol. Don't stand closer than five feet unless you're invited. Don't touch them unless they touch you first. Uh, don't show your back to them. You know, back away when you leave. And it's all, all things to show respect and honor. And I thought of this scripture. How should I act in the presence of the Lord? How do I act in the presence of the king of the universe? That's how I should live my life. Because the truth is, he is always present. He's always here with us. But this is how I, all of us should be. And he said, walk humbly with you, God. Not just visit him once in a while. But you, can, you live your life with God. This is our calling. You know, we, we got really good at salvation. Which is getting people to study the Bible and baptism in the past. We're not so good at it anymore, but we got to get back on track. But we, what we weren't so good at was sanctification. Helping people walk with God. And this is where I'm really excited that we are growing as a church. That we're growing as a people. And we have to grow so that we help each other stay with God. Which means we have to learn how to build a great relationship with the Lord. And I'll tell you this, if you can learn to build a great relationship with the Lord, that will serve you in all your other relationships. Especially in marriage. But in friendships, and just general, the relationships God puts in our life. He says, this is what really matters. This is what really counts. This, oh dirt person, is what the Lord's looking at. Do you help the needy, the suffering, the abuse, the hurting of the world? And that could be going on a trip to serve in Africa or Asia or Latin America. Or that could be just getting to know your neighbors 
and helping somebody in your neighborhood who's hurting. Or that could be helping somebody in your Bible talk that's going through a difficult time. It's all of those things. Some of us have the opportunity to go around the world and save. Take it. You should. It will change your life. Some of us don't have that opportunity. But you can change somebody's world right here. You can make a difference right here. Right in this fellowship. You can have a transformative effect on people in your neighborhood. It's what God wants. Practice justice. Love mercy. Be kind. Love each other. That, we've talked a lot about this. About this is what God is looking for. That, that this be a group of people who really care about each other. Who are there for each other. And I, and, and I have to tell you, I, I've been very impressed by how we have handled the many deaths we've had. You know, that, that, that so many have been there for those who have suffered. And yet I know we can still grow a lot more in other ways. I think even helping each other spiritually and being concerned about our walk with God, the last thing he says, is making sure that we, we are walking with God. Our prayers, our quiet times, our study, our memorizing scriptures. Keep those five impossible prayers before you. You know why I wanted us to do this? Because I want us to see the power of God. And you won't see it unless you step out on faith. Unless you ask for outrageous things. And we'll see. We're going to have a devil at the, end of the, at the end of the year or the beginning of the next year where we're going to share how those things happen. Is every one of them going to happen? Probably not. But I'll tell you a bunch of them will. I guarantee you that. Because I've done this before. I've walked with God for a while now. And I know how faithful he is. This is what matters. This is what counts. Well, what about all the other stuff? Yeah, that's important. I'll close out with this. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he was not happy. You know, as I said before, when, a, when somebody starts their sentence with, woe to you, you know you're in trouble. He said to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You know, the law required that you give 10% of everything, right? So I bet none of us have ever gone to our our season shelf and separated a tenth of our spices and herbs, right? Oh, I think I shared with you, I did this once. I was just curious, what would it be like if I separated a tenth of everything in my kitchen? So I started with the spices, and I put them all in a plastic baggie, and I took them to church. And I showed everybody, because we were talking about this. And, but Michelle told me, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and I'm like, why? She goes, well, because it looked like this little big little plastic baggie of green herbs. She said, not everybody thought those were spices. I said, oh, okay, I won't do that again. But it smelled like oregano, okay? So, but I said, look, you guys... You're so devoted to the law that you'll even separate a tenth of your spices. He says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. And he quotes Micah. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
And by the way, faithfulness and humility are the same thing. Study that one out. That's a good one. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, you should have practiced the latter. Like You still need to practice all the other stuff. Don't look at pornography. Don't lie. Don't steal. Be honest. All those things are important. This, this is not a, well, Robert said we don't have to do those things anymore. No, we need to do those things. We need to live a righteous life. But that's not what our religion's about. That's the basic, basic. And unfortunately, if you don't keep growing, you just get stuck in the basics. And you can't even do the basics. Because you need a great relationship with God to walk righteously. To not look. You know, I said the one day, if you're looking at pornography, stop it. And that's, that is the attitude we need to have. Now, even as I say that, I understand it's a lot harder than just saying that. It's a lot harder than even just having an attitude against it. It takes the power of God. Yes. It takes getting help. Mm-hmm. Whatever addiction you have, That's right. whether it's pornography or drugs or food mm-hmm. or fame or popularity or compliments or whatever, we get addicted to different things yeah. that we feel we need. And the only thing that sets us free is Jesus. And we need to have the kind of relationship with God that when we are captives, we have the power to overcome. We are set free by the Lord. We need to have the kind of relationship with God that when we are hurting, He can heal us. We need to have the kind of walk with God that when we are lonely, He can fulfill us. And take that loneliness away. We need to have the kind of relationship with God. That when we are powerless. He empowers us. That when we're tired. He strengthens us. He fulfills all our needs. And helps us. Be all that we have been designed to be. This is what the Lord requires. Jesus said look. The other stuff's important. But that's not what this is all about. When I get with premarital, Michelle and I do premarital counseling, we go over who's going to pay the bills, who's going to take out the trash. Is that important? Yeah. Better pay your bills. Better throw out that trash. But is that what marriage is about? What does the Bible say? Husbands, throw out the trash? No. Love your wives. Because that's what it's about. It's a relationship. Your relationship with God is what it's all about. Okay, time's up. Got to go. Love you guys.